Welcome to the Start, Scale, Succeed podcast with me, your host, Nicole Higgins, the Buy and Retail Coach, sharing tips, advice, and insight from entrepreneurs that have just launched to multi-million pound business owners. We will be discussing the challenges they faced, advice they would give, and the milestones they achieved and how they got there. Also joining me will be a broad range of experts with some tips and practical how-tos, episodes that will help your business grow and to enable you to live the life you crave. The types of experts that you'll hear from will be those that you will find beneficial as you start and scale your business, from branding and social media experts to mindset coaches and PR marketing. There will also be solo episodes from me discussing a variety of topics from sourcing to maximizing the profit in your business. Today's episode, I'm chatting with Babs Jameson, founder of Jameson Law and host of Legal Leverage Podcast. And their mission is to make legal easy to understand, straightforward and easy to apply. And that is part of what we are going to be talking about today, as we're going to be chatting through what are the legal basics you need to have in place and have considered when starting out. Thanks very much for joining me today, Babs. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. How are you? I am very good. Thank you. And congratulations on the podcast launch. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's... um been a bit of work and I was saying to you earlier I, I'm pretending it's all my work my team have been extremely helpful <laughs> um, and amazing but um, yeah no it's it's good we're very excited about it. So now you're founder of Jameson Law but what's your what's your previous background to that before you founded your own company? Um, I uh, did the kind of normal the, the normal kind of um, qualification route for a solicitor um, I actually trained in Scotland initially hence the accent um, went through the whole kind of uni process, etc. Trained with one of the big firms, qualified there, spent a little bit of time working for a company, then back to one of the big firms. Um, and then I came out of it, I just realised that it just wasn't for me, it wasn't my thing. Uh, very stuffy, very kind of, um, very serious. And I was definitely a kind of oddball among it all. Um, but as well as that, I just didn't really like the way that firms treated clients. Mm-hmm. I thought that small businesses were a little bit kind of disenfranchised, didn't really have access to the, the quality of legal advice, mainly because they weren't seen as important enough or yeah. pay enough fees, really. Um, so I came out, I freelanced for working for small businesses and startups for a while, and then I set up my own firm. Great. And how long have you been trading with Jameson Lawn as Jameson Lawn now? Um, so we had a name change about a, just over a year ago, but we've been trading as a company for about two years. Great. And so, like I said, today, we're going to talk about the legal basics when people are starting out. And um, I know a lot of people will come to you about this. So what are the what are the things that you need? To, if you're starting your own product business, what are the things that you need to be um, considering when you're doing that? Lots of things. Um, if we start from the absolute basics, the things that apply to every single company, make sure you set up the right structure. So whether you're running as a sole trader or a company, make sure Whatever that is makes sense for you from a legal and a tax perspective. Um, speak to your accountant about that, basically, is what I'm saying. Um, you might be running as a sole trader and have been for ages, but you might not be getting the tax benefits of having set up as a company. So speak to your accountant about that. Um, the second thing to think about is registering with a data protection authority in the country you're in, so whether that's UK or Ireland, um, making sure that you're registered there. In the UK, it's the ICO. Um and as well as that, make sure you have insurance. Um, this is a biggie um, and a lot of the time people forget about it, but definitely as a product provider, um, a seller of goods, you want to make sure at least you have um, public liability insurance and probably professional indemnity as well. Um, now, those are the kind of basics. Um, as well as that, 
assuming you have an online presence, I mean, for, for sellers of products online, I mean, your website documentation is just key. Um, it's all about making sure that you have really good website T's and C's. Those are basically your contract with your customers. Um, if you're selling to consumers, which most of you, I assume, are, um, you need to make sure you're complying with consumer rights, that you've got all that good stuff in your terms and conditions, that you're not going to get in trouble with anything, um, and that you've got a really decent privacy policy on your website as well that sets out what personal data you collect, why you need it, and what you do with them. And then just going back to some of the beginning points that you made there in terms of the yeah. sole trader and the limited side of things, and I yeah. know that you definitely need to speak to your accountants in terms of what are the the tax benefits of, of going yeah. from from one or the other. But from a legal point of view, um, what would be the benefit of going over a sole trader versus a limited company? Um, legally, there's not much benefit of staying as a sole trader. Um, reason being, you've got limited liability and unlimited liability. See, I'm hitting you with the jargon already. Um, but essentially, as a sole trader, you are personally responsible for everything that goes on in your company. So if your mm-hmm. company gets sued, you get sued. Um, so without say, sounding melodramatic. No, yeah, that's your things, house, things happen. You could lose your house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, could, you could lose your house. Um, now, hopefully that doesn't happen to any of us, but it is a possibility. And um, if you have a limited company, you have limited liability, which means if your company is sued, yeah, your company could shut down. You could lose your company, but you as an individual are fine. You have your house, you have your car. Nobody's going to take that away from you. So legally, I don't see many, many, many benefits with sticking with being a sole trader, but there might be tax benefits. And the other thing to think about is there is a little less admin with being a sole trader. So if you're just starting out, it might make sense. I think as well, though, if you're a sole trader, there wouldn't be that much admin in terms of accounts and that side of things. But if you're a sole trader that's planning on doing a lot of work with corporate businesses, so you might have a subscription box business and you might think, right, okay, I want to sell into corporate events. Corporate businesses will always take someone who is limited business a lot more seriously than they would a sole trader. Yeah, I mean, I have clients who have been sole traders for 10 years and, but on, and, and you know, they're very established in what they do and their business is very developed. But unfortunately, they're not taken as seriously mm-hmm. as limited companies. Um, and whether that's right or wrong, fair or unfair, that is just the way that it is, unfortunately. And then you talked about um, the insurance side of things in terms of the limited yeah. num- and remind me again. So <laughs> on the insurance side well, of things. Um, as as product sellers, you, you want product liability cover, um, which is probably going to fall. You're, if you're going to an insurance broker, it's probably going to fall into the category of product and public liability, um, which basically is if you know you're selling something, even if you're not the manufacturer, you still kind of want to have it just in case for some reason it, it falls back on you. But if you're selling products and they cause harm to someone, um, or or they cause, cause some sort of damage, and you're sued for that, if you don't have insurance in place. You, you're expected to get that money from somewhere. If you have insurance, they pay out when that goes wrong, if that goes wrong. And then as well, if you have a bricks and mortar shop, you need a different kind of, so if you're employing staff or yeah. you have customers in a premises, whether that's a pop-up or a, a shop yeah. that you have all the time, what do you need then? You definitely need public liability for that. Um, that Think of public liability as your slips, trips and falls insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything goes wrong, somebody falls in your premises, that's what they will sue against is your public liability insurance. Um, if you have staff, 
it is a legal requirement that you have employers liability and they don't even need to be employed staff they could be like contractors freelancers but it's important you have it that that basically means if they sue you for something if they take you to an employment tribunal or something like that have the insurance in place and to, to to cover that public liability insurance isn't a legal requirement it's just very sensible employers liability is a legal requirement if you have employees and it's nominal fees per year really isn't it you can get it's not it's not a big investment but in terms of what it could save you um you know the the benefits outweigh you know the whatever you could probably get a policy what for like is it would be 70 pounds or something like that or something like that or depending on what you cover yeah, it's 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 hard for me to say because my insurance is so high because I'm a law firm. But I think it's something like like twenty five pounds, thirty euros a month. Right. Okay. But a lot yeah. of them will be way way lower than that. Yeah, it just depends on what you it's, want your payout to be, or anything like I suppose like any kind of insurance about what you want the reward or the excess and and all that kind of thing to be. And so when someone is setting out and they're starting their business one of the things that I've spoken to my clients before is trademarking the name yes and very very important do you want to touch on that a bit yes so I hear from people all the time oh but I have my limited company or I've bought the domain name so I own the name and just to clear that up entirely that 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 is not a thing that does not protect your business name in any way shape or form and you need to register your trademark for that now The only time I would tell someone that they shouldn't be registering a trademark is if they are so early in their business that trademark fees would bankrupt the company. Um, Everybody else really should be trademarking their business or at least if the words of their name for whatever reason can't be trademarked, trademark your branding, trademark your logo. What you're getting with trademarking is basically protection for your business branding in the industry that you're in. So if you sell clothing, you're registering in the clothing sales classes. Nobody can come along and use that same name in that industry because it would cause confusion in the market. And sometimes, because I hear from people a lot of the time, oh, I don't care if someone else uses that name. That's fine, like fair game. Even if you're of that mindset, there's nothing to stop that person coming along, registering the trademark, and then making you change your name. Right, so okay. you're also relying on the kind of goodwill of others, which in business I unfortunately would not do. And you actually had an example of that. Did, did that happen to one of your clients? Yeah, that's exactly what happened to one of my clients. They um, they received a letter telling them to change their name. So and even they- though they'd been established beforehand. the other person had trademarked the name and then they were asked to change theirs. And if you think in terms of from an investment point of view, you've spent your money on your branding, you've spent your money on your known to your customers, you know, you have a loyal following or whatever it might be under that name and then you have to change it. And I know that we talked about costs there, but it's not actually, I know in the UK to register is £175, but then it depends. Then you have to register per class. So like you said, if you're a clothing company, yeah, and you just want to re- register in ladies' fashion, then that's I think it's an extra. It's fifty pounds every class that you want to register in. So you might have grand ideas and think, right, okay, in five years' time, I'm going to be doing all these other categories. But at least just start with what you know you're going to be doing for the first kind of twelve or six to twelve months. I would absolutely agree with that. And and, and yes, you're correct. It's one seven five and then fifty for each additional class. What I would recommend is if you are registering your trademark by yourself do what's called the right start process. So when you when you apply for the trademark, 
you can do the standard process or right start. Now, right start starts at £200 rather than £170. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and it's still £50 each additional class. So it's an extra £30, but it's 100% worth it because you pay half the fees up front for a start. So you don't pay the full amount. But also, if you're doing it by yourself, the intellectual property office look at your application and they say, this will get through if you change this. Right. Okay. Or this and this will be fine. So you're paying an extra £30 really for a bit For of some advice. Yeah. Because yeah. if you don't, because for people that don't know, if you don't do it that way, you could just get a straight no and then the letter, you know, and then you'd have to resubmit. And then if you don't submit within a certain time, then you have to pay again. And, you know, or like you said before, that if you've got a generic name, if you submit that with a logo in Mm -hmm. one go, you might have more of a chance of getting something passed because it's the name with the logo. For sure. Yeah. If you're struggling, it's it's quite a high bar to register words, particularly if if they're not very distinctive. Obviously, if your brand is a completely made up word, then you're fine. But if it's something like really common, um, it could be thought of as just like common terminology, norm- normal phrases that people use. Um, it's unlikely to go through. But if you put that in like a stylized logo with a bit of color, nice font, etc., you're much more likely to get it through. Great. Okay. I think that's very clear in terms of trademark, but I would agree. I'd always recommend it. And in Ireland, I think it's £99. In the UK, it's 175 But if you, that's but then if you want to do more countries, it's more expensive. And there is something called the Madrid Protocol, which covers more countries as well in terms of what yeah. you're what you are registered in. But we won't go into the, that kind of deal. If people do want to register in more countries, if they look up the Madrid Protocol, um, yeah. then they will be able to find out more information. But at least get a kind of yeah. get it registered in the country that you're planning on making the most sales and that's going to be the biggest part of your market. And yeah. um so if you are starting out and you have, you're not planning on taking on staff, but or full time staff, but you do want to have ad hoc staff or freelance staff. Yeah. What's in terms of having the legal side from a HR contract point of view? Is that something that you can um, help with? Yeah. So even if you're not, I mean, step back. If you're having employees it's a legal requirement that you give them a contract. So you, you need to be aware of that. Um, it just recently changed. Um, previously, you could just take on staff kind of willy-nilly and it didn't matter. It's now a legal requirement. Um, putting that to one side, if you're taking on more kind of casual staff, if they're freelancers, if they're contractors, it's not a legal requirement to have a contract, but it is highly, highly advisable. Um, even just covering things like who owns the IP, if they create something for you, mm-hmm. What happens um, with invoicing? What happens if the contractor does something wrong? Um, what happens if they're determined by the tax authority as being an employee and you end up having to pay a fine for not paying their income tax? All of these things, you want that covered. Um, I hear people saying all the time, you don't need to contract in that situation because all a contract is there for is to make sure you get paid. It's not true. A, a contract is there to make sure, yes, you get paid, but that your liability is limited in as mm-hmm. much as it can be and that you're only agreeing to be responsible for what you're happy to be responsible for. And you touched there on IP. So IP is intellectual property. So yeah. if you are hiring a designer and they are creating a collection for you and it's their, it's their, they've created the prints, but you own the prints because you've bought the prints off the designer, but you need to have something in writing saying that so that they can't come back to you Um 
12 months down the line say, well, I never gave you, I never handed over the intellectual property. I want a percentage of the sales that you've made off that print. Yes. And this is the thing, like getting that stuff, that legal stuff in place, it might feel like a bit of an admin burden at the time, but for what it could save you down the line, not even just in terms of money, but in terms of time and stress. I mean, if that situation happened that you mentioned there, I mean, you could end up in a position where this designer is threatening legal action against you and mm-hmm. you can't actually focus on, on selling and running your own business and you're up at night and you're worrying about it. You'd rather just get that piece of paper signed when everybody's still friends. And can that be as simple as you writing a document, writing, you know, this is to certify, this is to state that, X, you know, Mary, whoever is doing this design for this brand and this brand owns the intellectual property rights and then both parties sign it. Can it be as simple as something? I know that's very basic. but Yeah, it can be. I mean, obviously I'm a lawyer. I'm always going to say I'd rather you had a proper bulletproof contract in place. Yeah. Very, very clear. However, if you're starting out, if funds are tight, um, if you really don't like lawyers, which many people don't. Um, yeah, a one pager will work. Probably just do a Google for like an IP transfer document or something like that. Right. Um, okay. But, but yeah, I mean, just putting it on a bit of paper, having both parties sign it and date it. it it's not a perfect contract, but if, I mean, it's never going to happen, but hopefully, but worst case scenario, we all go to court it's still evidence of what the party's intention was. It's not a perfect contract, but it it will prove what everybody thought was going to happen. And with GDPR as well, I know that you mentioned that. So see that what was it about a couple of years ago that started that came twenty eighteen. Yeah. Twenty eighteen, yeah, in in full force um, in terms of what everyone needed to adhere to. And yeah. are the the laws different between the UK now and Ireland and and the EU? No, or the no, they're, they're the same. So. Um, basically we we all kind of agreed at christmas time we'll all just pretend it's the same until we can decide otherwise um and then basically what has to happen is for for data to keep flowing throughout the uk and the eu the european commission has to say that the uk is equivalent to the eu now it seems backwards because we adopted gdpr when everybody else did however they went through a process they had to go around all the member states of the eu to get them to sign off They have now signed off. So for at least the next kind of four or five years, GDPR just is exactly the same between the countries. Um, The only difference is in the UK, we're referring to as UK GDPR, but that's that's really the difference. So anybody who is collecting email addresses has an email list, which if you're a product business and you're listening and you haven't got an email list, then I'm, you know, (laughs) you'll listen to another, you need to get one. (laughs) But uh, hopefully you all, if you're a product business and you're trading, you have an email list. So if you're collecting emails, which you will be from sales anyway, um, and when you make a sale, you need to have, and you're collecting financial information, you need to have a GDPR policy in place. For sure, yeah. But if you're an Irish business dealing with UK customers or you're a UK business dealing with Irish customers or the rest of the EU, you just keep doing what you're doing before Brexit. Okay. And I know just to go back to IP a minute and um, yeah. and copyright. So if you are a creator of products and mm-hmm. it's your designs and everything, can you register the IP? Can you register the intellectual property rights? 
Yeah, yeah, you can. Um, in the UK, you can register online. I'm not an expert in it. Um, mm-hmm. I deal with trademarks and copyrights, but you can register it um, on the UK government website. If you're EU-based, you can register within the EU and that protects your design rights. So if you, if so, someone who's listening that is um, designing their own designs and creating, who is creating their own own products, essentially, yeah. um, then that's something for you to, to have a look at. Absolutely. And if you are... So say you've been trading for a while and your your business is booming and you're like, right, I can't do this on my own anymore. I need to, yeah. to get investment. Yeah. What should people be looking out for there? Lots of things. First mm. of all, um, we spoke about trademarks before. Investors will run a mile if you've not got a trademark for your business um, and you're really relying on your business name or your branding. Um, and if they don't run a mile, they'll they'll seriously, seriously probably reduce the money they're giving or expect a higher percentage. So going back to trademarks, it's best belts and braces get that in as early as possible. Um, and the longer you've had your trademark, the better it looks as well. Mm-hmm. In terms of actually bringing in investment, do not do this without legal advice, please. Like I know legal advice seems like a pain um, and it's expensive or it can be. I like to think we're very reasonable, but it can be. Um, but that's... That's not the point. The point is, if you get this stuff wrong, yeah, it, it potentially leads to a lot of consequences. Um, I dealt with a client about a year or so ago now who brought investors into his business and he didn't realise that he signed up to two things. First thing was he signed away the majority control of his business without realising it. And now he's basically just being treated as like an employee. Like a manager. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And second thing he signed up to was two-year restrictive covenants. So even if he leaves the business, he can't create anything else for two years that's remotely in the same kind of world. So he has absolutely screwed himself over because he Mm -hmm. just didn't get legal advice. Now, that legal advice would probably have cost him 500 quid, maybe 600 Mm -hmm. quid. Now, that compared to what he's actually lost is is a massive difference. Massive. Yeah. And I think, like you said, you know, when you're looking at contracts and and um, doing those kind of things when you're all friends, but it's also look when you're looking at investment and really looking at that contract and go, right, if things went wrong, what do I not want? Or not, I suppose not even that really, but just going like, be prepared to walk away from something if you're not getting what you, what you need. There'll always be, I would imagine if your product is good enough to invest in the first time or your business is good enough for one investor, it will be good enough for another investor and, you know, another investor will find it of interest. So it's working and finding what's right for you because if something doesn't feel right or if people aren't being flexible with what they're looking for, then they're not probably the right fit for you as an investor, I would say anyway then. Yeah, I mean, don't, there's two points there. Don't be desperate. Do not be desperate. Yeah. I know it might feel like you're desperate, but don't be desperate because it is it's it's unlikely you're going to make the right decision for your business. Your business when you're in that when you're in that frame of mind. Yeah. Yeah. Your business is your baby. Like it's your baby, it's your job to protect it, it's your job to look after it. And if you end up being desperate and jumping at the first opportunity, imagine what it's going to be like working with these people on a daily mm-hmm. basis if they're that difficult just at the beginning. Yeah. I just I know. be very careful. <laughs> you, can't, you kind of don't, don't really want to think about those situations. I know. So we've talked about structure, we've talked about insurance, uh, we've talked about trademarking um, and some contracts and GDPR. What would you, are there any other kind of things that you would say 
from a basic starting out and the structure or the setup that you would make sure people need to cover? Yeah, um, if you have a business partner or you're bringing someone into your business, it's really important that you have an agreement in place with them. So if that's a company, a shareholders agreement, um, even if you're 50-50, it's still very important. I actually spoke to someone today who was saying, um, oh, I caught COVID a few weeks ago and it just occurred to me what happens to my shares if I'm not here anymore. So things like that. And he just assumed they would go to his family members, but they don't, right? Because what he'd actually was in another document somewhere was that they went to his business partner. And because they hadn't put a document in place to deal with that, he was like, oh my God, I just assumed my wife would get all this and, and she wouldn't, right? So that's something to think about. But kind of less morbid things like um, <laughs> how 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 decisions are made. What happens if someone doesn't pull their weight? Um, yeah. What happens if someone tarnishes the reputation of the business? What happens if someone leaves? It's really important that you have all that in. And again, I always say this with shareholders agreement: put it in place when you're friends. Yeah, because you don't want to have to start looking at these things when you've had a fallout. And doing it from the beginning as well, like you say, in terms of getting it in place at the beginning when you're all still friends, when everyone's doing the, when everyone's really excited yeah. and everyone's <laughs> pulling the same amount of weight and, you know, and yeah. doing the same amount of work and not two and a half years down the line when you feel like absolutely. you're doing 70% of the business and you're getting 50% of the profits. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And if people are looking for legal advice, where can they find you, Babs? Um, So you can get me on my website. It's jamesonlaw.legal. We've got a little contact us form there so you can get us there. Um, You can also find me on Instagram. So it's just Babs Jameson Lawyer um, and just launched our podcast, as we said. So listen out for that as well. It's a legal leverage podcast. um, And some of the topics that we've covered today, we were, were kind of dedicating an episode to all of them. So I go into a little bit more detail there and we take audience questions as well. So if you have any questions, fire them over on the website um, and we'll answer them on the podcast. That's fantastic. And I was having a look at your website earlier today, actually. And do you have a, you have a lot of templates that you sell that people can just download as well? Yeah, we've um, got templates that we sell, but then we've also got a, like a free resources section. So we spoke about trademarks today, like a brand protection one, how to trademark your brand, and then key things to make sure your business has in place when you're setting up. Loads of things like that. So that'll hopefully give you guys a lot of information to kind of get going with before you maybe need to dive into more legal work the link to that will all be in the show notes and if you have enjoyed today's episode then please subscribe and leave a review if you want to hear more from me or see more from me you can check me out on instagram at the bar and retail coach or my website www.thebarandretailcoach.com and again i'll put those links in the show notes for you as well so thank you very much for listening and we will chat to you next week